hello there. Shall we begin? I think we were due to start at half past five and it's then now, so being the disciplinarian that I am, we've got to stay on track. We have to be out of here definitely by seven o'clock because there are other events following and uh, they need to clear rooms and things like that. So I shall start. We are waiting on one more speaker, Tim. Um, like a lot of us, there's so many venues in all of these events that he's gone the wrong one. But he is on his way and he'll get here soon. Uh, so welcome. My name is Carolyn Jones. I am in another life. I am the director of the Institute of Employment Rights, which is a labour movement think tank looking at trade union freedoms and employment rights. Um, and so I will just be chairing the event tonight. Um, so welcome. The issue is the future of trade unions. Of course, coming from Liverpool and having this event in Liverpool, uh, we, have the, we are very proud to say that Liverpool is trade union city. We have the highest density of trade union members in our city, which is great, of course. But obviously, we have to face the fact, yeah, we have to face the fact that trade unionism is, has declined over the years. And uh, although it used to be that 89% of people had their terms and conditions of work negotiated by a trade union. That's fallen now to around about 20%, which means that the majority of people have their terms and conditions imposed on them by overpowerful bosses rather than negotiated for them by trade unions. So we need to do something about that. That doesn't mean that trade unions are unpopular. Whenever they have a, a survey to say, the majority of people say trade unions are good and we need them to um, reshape the balance of power in the workplace and offer people some assistance um, at work. But despite that popularity, whether it is through legal restraints, um, I'm sure, oh, are there any people here old enough to remember Thatcher? She, she, well, you should go boo, I suppose. Um, she introduced so many pieces of anti-trade union legislation that she tied the unions up in all sorts of um, uh, chains so that they couldn't do what their statutory role was, which was representing people in the workplace. Then, of course, we've had the industrial decline of those kinds of sectors that were very highly unionised and organised. And then we've had privatisation and deregulation, which has brought in a philosophy that says we don't want trade unions in the workplace. The employers just want the power to be able to do what they want to do without having to negotiate with a third party. All of that has led to a decline in trade unions. But I think the result of that has been so much difficulty for workers. Uh, well, whether it's zero-hour contracts, whether it's uh, blacklisting, whether it is the gig economy. Um, people are now saying enough is enough and we need to do something else. So if we're talking about the future of trade unions, I think the time is ripe for trade unions to start again, negotiating, organising, recruiting, fighting, and the people who are on the platform tonight do all of those things in abundance, and I hope we'll be able to convince you that the time is now to grow the trade unions. Now, it says in the leaflet that what we need is a bold plan to change the way we operate. And here's where I'm going to use my Institute of Employment Rights and abuse the chair's position to say, we do have a plan. 
and we're very pleased to say that uh, Jeremy and John MacDonald are, uh, have adopted our plan. Our plan is a manifesto for labour law. It brought together some of the country's leading experts and it says what is needed to be done to change the balance of power in the workplace back towards trade unions and working people. The Labour Party asked us to do that. Next year, the Institute's going to be 30 years old. It's taken us 30 years to gain the ears of politicians, but now we're there. And what Jeremy Corbyn and John MacDonald are saying, and Rebecca Long-Bailey is, when they come to power, they will implement our policy proposals, which includes a Ministry of Labour, so that unions have a voice at the heart of government. It includes the reintroduction of sectoral collective bargaining, so that everybody in a workplace will know what their terms and conditions are ought to be because they'll be negotiated at a sector level and imposed on all employers. It includes better rights for workers, so abolishing zero-hour contracts, sorting out the gig economy, rights on equality, health and safety, rights from day one, a whole range of things. I won't go through the book because I'm only chairing this and it's not about us uh, today. Uh, but we do have a plan and, I'm, as I say, the Labour Party have said they'll adopt it as their blueprint for government. They included our proposals in their last manifesto for the many, not the few, which was very popular. And uh, this now is the uh, organising manual about how they will do it, how they actually implement those ideas when they come into power. So we're pleased with the direction that politics and the Labour um, politicians are taking. We just need to get them into power now. Um, so... That is our plan, but I'm sure you all have ideas as well on how to grow the economy, how to strengthen workers' rights, and how to grow trade union movement. So I will move to our speakers. Our first speaker tonight is uh, Nav. Nav is a, he's got experience of organising in a trade union. He was an organiser in a very difficult sector to organise, the care sector. Uh, for Unison, so he has experience of organising a difficult sector. He's also just been elected to the Labour Party National Executive Committee. I don't know whether to say well done or poor you. <laughs> well done. Um, and Nav's going to open up and let us know uh, his experience of organising for the future of trade unions. Nav. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, Carolyn. I just wanted to, uh, I was asked to speak a few days ago, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about my experience and my colleagues at Unison organising care workers. And uh, it's, it's extremely tough. So I think it would be unfair to have an event about the future of trade unions if we didn't talk about the, the, the modern workplace, because it's very different to what it was 50 years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm an active member of, of Unite, uh, Pretty much 99% of people who work at, at Unison are members of Unite because Unite is the, is the union that bargains on, on, on staff members' behalf with the Unison management. And uh, many, many leaders in Unite, including Len, often say that the union structures within Unite are similar to what they were almost 80 years ago. And the workplace, the modern workplace, especially for, for, for people these days, is very different to what it was 80 years ago, but the union is, is, is some parts of the union are stuck in the past. So it would be unfair to have an event like this and not talk about the modern workplace and the need to, to modernize the unions. I'm sure there are comrades on this panel, including Dave, who, who will talk about the, the, the amount of work that goes into reforming unions, the social media, 
getting the attention of, of, of the new workforce, often who have no contact with anyone from a trade union in their family or in the workplace. So just a little bit about, about the care work uh, project that I worked on, which was based in the Northwest. Uh, I, I, live in, I live in Greater Manchester in Stockport, and Unison Northwest ran a, ran a, well, still is running a project organizing care workers around Greater Manchester. And it, 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 is, it is a sector that in the past, 20, 30 years ago, used to be, used to be quite heavily unionized because often a lot of these, these care homes were, were run by local councils or autonomous bodies you know, under the control of local authority. And it was a job that people took pride in. You, know, you had a good pension, you had a good holiday allowance, you had reasonable management and, and you could have, have a decent lifestyle working as a care worker in your community looking after some of the people. You know, it could be disabled people, it could be people with special needs, it could be older people, people with serious medical conditions. And it was a job that people took pride in. And if you look, you know, look at a care home now, a vast majority of them are run by, by private contractors. There are very few that are run by local authorities or companies set up by local authorities. And it's often a job where you are on zero-hour contracts, you have very low pay, bare minimum, national minimum wage, or as the Conservatives like to call it, the living wage, which, which it isn't. And you have practice of uh, doing illegal shifts, so doing double shifts, 24-hour shifts. You have practice of uh, not being provided personal protective equipment, things you need to do your job. So on, on a personal note, I found, and I think the data matches up, that the majority of care workers tend, tend to be women. It tends to be, tends to be people from abroad. It tends to be a fair amount, you know, the ethnic minority representation in that, in that workforce is high. And it also tends to be a job that people try and move out of as soon as possible. So it's not, there's no career path. So, you know, if you're someone who, who, who's a care worker, um, because of the terms and conditions, because of the pay, because of the workload, because of the management tactics, because of the career path in front of you, it's not, not very attractive for you, for you to pursue that. So what Unison did about six years ago nationally was set up a care work project that each region was going to, going to run. I'm not going to get into the union bureaucracy bit, but they put aside several million pounds to run a project uh, around uh, you know winning collective bargaining agreements from from you know big chains that that operate these these care homes and it's it's always good on a personal note in my experience when someone joins a union through direct debit as as a lone worker in the workplace that's that's great you know they have the protection of the union behind them but what makes a big difference is if the union can win a collective bargaining agreement on your behalf for the entire workforce because that that wins you the pay rise that wins you the the, the, the bump in terms and conditions that wins you, you know, the right to good health and safety. And that's what Unison has been, has been focusing on. So Unison has had some victories. I'll list a couple uh, later on. But uh, my role and, and the team I worked on, which was the South Manchester team, was about targeting care homes, Bupa, uh, Harbour Healthcare, Borough Care, some smaller providers, some mid-range providers, some massive international providers. I mean, Bupa uh, in the, in, over last year, fiscal year, made over £700 million globally because they have a big arm uh, to do with you know, insurance and, and healthcare and fitness and all that. So they, they make a lot of money, but when you actually look at what they pay their care workers, is, is, is not good at all. And uh, the care homes that I've visited in, in Manchester, there is certainly threatening behaviour by management. Um, in most care homes, you know, depending who's on duty, you're not even allowed to step into the car park to talk to the workers. And the biggest issue has been about access. 
if you can't access the workers, if you can't talk to them about, about the benefits of trade unionism, or there is a you know, threat made against them that if they are seen talking to a union organizer, then they're on a zero-hour contract, and then they won't be given shifts next week, they won't be given shifts later on in the month. It's actually it's, it's quite difficult. I mean, I've, I've spoken to, to people at bus stops because I've spoken to people on actual buses because they don't want to be, you know, they don't want their manager to look out the window and see me talking because I don't blend in very well wherever I go. So they don't want to see, you know, their 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 worker talking to me or, or my colleague with our, with our Unison Unison IDs on. And I've, I've spoken to people and they've said, you know, if my manager finds out that I'm a member of Unison, even if I pay by direct debit, you know, I won't get any shifts. And obviously, it's very difficult for us to prove that they're being, you know, people are being targeted for being in a union, which is, of course, illegal, but it's difficult for us to prove. I've also spoken to people who have said, I mean, Unison membership is quite progressive. It starts from £1.30 a month, depending on how much you make. But I've spoken to people who've said, look, I, I have a zero-hour contract. I don't know what I'm going to make next week. I can't afford £6 a month because that makes a difference between putting, you know, putting food on or not. And it's actually quite, quite difficult. And... From my experience of doing this role, I've, I've worked out that I couldn't be a care worker because it's actually quite mentally as well as physically demanding role. You know, you're looking after some people who are in, you know, in, the, in their weakest state. You're looking after people who have lots of physical and mental needs. You're doing long shifts and if, if your colleague calls in sick or if management, which mo, mo, you know, mo, you know, often are very, very cheap, they don't want to hire enough people to do the job then you're doing lots of different roles, things that are not in your, in your contract. So it's, it's quite, quite, quite a difficult challenge organizing, organizing care workers. Now, what Unison have done is if they've dedicated a, a significant amount of money into training people up like me, training colleagues across, across the nation to target, to target uh, you know, big care chains. And, and we, have, we have won some collective bargaining agreements uh, the project, in my view, I can't speak on behalf of Unison, but in my view, hasn't been as successful as we would have hoped. But I think it's a welcome step because Unison recognizes that, you know, you can do two things. You can either just collect, you know, your membership dues from NHS, which obviously has a very, you know, high union density. People are committed to, to trade unions in NHS and there's a good check-off agreement where your, your union membership is taken out of your wages even before you get your wages. It's a good agreement. We can, we can stick to that and then see progressively over the next few years our membership decline and as new people come in, as NHS gets cut up into contractors and they're anti-union, we can see, we can manage our decline in membership and we can be comfortable now, but in a few years' time it'll be a difficult place. So they've recognized that that's one route. The second route is to go and target, you know, workplaces that were unison in the past, you know, rec you know Unison's predecessor unions, you know, represented those workers, so we can go back and, uh, you know, target those chains and, and win new collective bargaining agreements, get new members, but more importantly, show other care workers that, you know, if you win a collective bargaining agreement, you can, you can, you can get this. Um, there has been, in, in my region specifically, in, in the northwest where we are, we have uh, developed skills for specific social media targeting for care workers. We run digital campaigns. We get leads through that, we go and speak to people. We've also targeted some small care providers who have 15 or 20 staff members. That means if we get more than 10 signed up, then we can push for a collective bargaining agreement. But uh, mainly we've been, we've been targeting the big, big care chains. A couple, one more thing I'd like to add is that there is a, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for unions to operate in a very anti-union political environment because if the legislation is stacked against you, 
it's actually so difficult, you know. And what Unison has done is is they've 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 included in this campaign a political strategy. So eth ethical care charter is a charter that's written up by Unison by by specialists uh, from from the sector, and it pushes for for you know councils that commission a lot of these services for for care work because they have obligation to. It pushes for councils to sign this ethical care charter, which includes, you know, um, care workers getting dignity, getting fair pay, not having to make two or three minute home visits, not being exploited by zero hour contracts. It brings some level of protection. Now, I'm quite happy to say that, you know, several councils, including Manchester, Stockport, Liverpool, they have signed, they have signed the charter. Um, although it is difficult because if you have a contract in place with the provider for several years, you can't just you can't just back out of that. And it's not the case that there are so many people lining up to take up those contracts because often the margins are very thin. And because of the financialization of care, it's all about profit. It's not about providing high quality care. It's not about providing a, a, a great service for your community. It's not about providing dignity for people who need it. It's all about, about making profit. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to cut the terms and conditions of your workers, to cut costs on equipment, to cut costs on staffing levels, making it dangerous and, and often ending in tragedy. So I'd just like to finish, yeah, just like to finish off by, by saying that I know Dave will talk more about digital strategy and, I, and personally I think CW has one of the best social media strategies for attracting the new type of, new type of workers. Um, you know, Unison is doing some good work and it is difficult. So I think criticism is fair of trade unions because, you know, I've, I've been an active member of Unite for, for several years. Uh, however, th there, is, there is a good strategy by several unions and there are good examples from Baker's Union and independent workers of, the, of Great Britain in London organising delivery workers. And I, I personally think uh, the future is bright because we have so many more young people active in politics. You know, we have people, young people coming to World Transform, Labour Party conference, people are politicised, people are more engaged, people understand why they can't get, you know, why they can't get a mortgage, why can't they get a council house. And I think with, with higher collective bargaining cover for more workers in the UK, I think that's a good thing. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are here because you're, you're left-wing, you're socialists. And if you're not in a union, then, then please, please join. There, there will be a union that will represent your, 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 your workforce or your community. So thank you. Thank you very much for that, Nav. I'm sure that will generate some questions at the end on how you um, operate and organise within the care sector. I'm going to move swiftly on to our next speaker. Our next speaker is Tim Roach. He is the General Secretary of the GMB. The GMB has been very active in both in challenging bad practices and winning cases for defining who is a worker or who is covered by employment rights. Too many people are told that they're self employed or um, and when re which just means that they don't get their right so GMB have challenged and challenged and challenged and won a lot of the cases I think it's uh, Deliveroo and um, yeah anyway and do but yeah I'm sure you'll tell us all about it Tim so welcome Tim thanks very much indeed thank you um, first of all can you hear me without the mic because if I have a mic in my hand I usually start singing and I do you need me to have the mic are oh, you recording it? So you don't need... Uh, okay, right, I won't sing them, definitely. Okay, mate, sorry, apologies. Yeah. 
Okay, got you. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, well, first of all, uh, thank you, Cad, and I'm absolutely delighted and honoured to be invited onto a panel of such uh, uh, distinguished uh, friends. And you will have a lot of contributions from people who I rate and respect and have worked with for a number of years. I want to look at it from the perspective of what I've lived through personally, and that is I started working with the GMB Union in 1979 as a post kid in London, uh, and I want to talk to you about how it looked then, and I don't think you can examine the role of trade unions, and particularly the future of trade unions, without looking at the past and looking at where we were from. So first of all, when I started back in the day, we had, first of all, huge nationalised industries. And we also had very big workplaces, which were very easy to organise. You had thousands of workers under one roof. You had shop stewards. You had conveners who were paid by the employer, basically, to do union work. And in the union movement, we got very, very lazy. It was very easy to organise in those days. We had the closed shop, which meant for those younger people in the audience, of which there are many, and it's fantastic to see, the closed shop meant you had to join the union, otherwise you didn't get a job in that workplace. That was, that was how it was. And that worked for us. Christ, I'd love to have the, work sh uh, the closed shop back. But it made us very lazy. And then what happened is we started seeing fragmentation. First of all, in the uh, private sector, by the sell-off of our nationalised industries, and heard another brilliant speech by John McDonald today talking about we need to take those back into public control, and of course we do. But once they started to be sold off to the private sector, they were fragmented. So those massive workplaces became very, very single and very fragmented and difficult to organise. Then we saw the same in the public sector. In the public sector, back in the day, you worked under one uh, authority, so whatever that authority was, ran and managed all of the services, whether it was the schools under the local education authority, whether it was your parks and gardens, and you used to see all the, all the grass verges all get cut, but you don't even see them bloody get cut these days, and if you do, it's all laid on the... all through government cuts and all through austerity. But that again, though, that fragmentation, that privatisation of public services, not only was a political nightmare for all of us, and we criticised that in the GMB uh, for many years, it became an organising challenge for the trade unions. And colleagues, we didn't keep up at all. We weren't flexible at all. And at its pomp, at its height, and this, I've, I've only just thought of this, Cad, I started with the union in 1979. That was the year when trade union membership was at its height. 13 million. Since then, it's gone down the whole time. So, it's not your fault, uh, Well, <laughs> now it's at its lowest since records began. and Well, lowest since 1934, but lowest since uh, recent records began at 6.5 million. So trade union membership has literally halved since 1979. And the people on this table and the people in this audience, we've got two choices. Either we continue to manage decline on our watch or we do something about it. But in doing something about it, and of course we're going to do something about it, and uh, you'll, you'll be very interested in what Dave Ward says, and I'll, I'll touch a little bit about that at the end because I'm not going to steal his clothes because we see this sort of stuff very, very similar. But let's just examine that where we got to when it came to the Brexit referendum in 2016. People had seen this fragmentation in the workplace. People had seen uh, and really felt um, the, the rise of casualisation that secure jobs that were once enjoyed by people under huge workplaces were no longer secure. They were no longer permanent. There were zero-hours contracts. There were bogus contracts. There were flexible contracts. Flexible working, they called it. Flexible for who? It certainly wasn't flexible for the workers and the people that I represent. It was flexible for the employer. If they didn't want you, they'd text you while you're on the bus on the way to work and say, you haven't, we haven't got any hours for you today, so you might as well sod off home. 
No recourse in law at all. No money. How do you how do you how do you possibly get a mortgage? How do you get a rental agreement if you don't even know if you've got solid hours of work? Then you've got austerity in the public sector. Cut after cut after cut. Privatisation of those public services, which the GMB criticised year after year after year publicly. I stood on many a platform criticising it, and I've never been more ashamed to be proved right than when um, Carillion went bust. Carillion went bust with £26 million in the bank, owing £6.4 billion. And yet this government awarded three more multi-million pound contracts after costs warnings were issued about Carillion's viability going forward. And yet when it went bang, the government said, no, not me, go. It wasn't our problem. It was the Carillion's problem. So who paid the price? Our members, working people paid the price. GMB members, we have members in Carillion in both the public and the private sector. The public sector, primarily in education, primarily in the NHS, were told, well, the unions will have to negotiate bringing those services back in-house. How ironic is that, colleagues? We've been saying for years they shouldn't have ever gone out of bloody well being in-house. So we had to negotiate and those, many of those workers went back into contracts in-house employed directly by their NHS uh, or their local authority. For the private sector workers... I'll quote you this. Carillion went bang on the Monday. The minister spoke in the House on the Monday and said, if you work for Carillion, worked for Carillion in the private sector, if you haven't got a job by Wednesday, here's the Job Centre Plus address. That was their response. That is who's paying the price. You look at the managers at the top of Carillion, the finance director left three months before it went bang. He didn't know it was going to go bang, of course. No, of course he didn't. He left with a 700 grand payment. He flogged all his shares at the same time. He didn't know it was going to go bust, of course. They must think we're crazy. They must think we're bloody stupid. But these, this is what we've been fighting for. So when it came to the 2016 European referendum, it's no wonder, really, that many people said, I just can't take any more of this status quo. I no longer have a secure job. I no longer am looked after by my employer. I can no longer put a roof over the heads of my families. I can no longer make ends meet and put a meal on the table. So rather than stay in and more of the same, I might as well bring the whole system down and I'll take my chances. And the biggest criticism, I, I don't criticise that decision. That's democracy. That's how it was. I, I voted for Remain. My union was an angry Remain. The angry Remain meant that we were saying it was far from perfect, the European Union, but you're better in and trying to transform it than... People said, well, sod that, Tim, sorry, we're coming out. They voted to come out. I understand that. But my, my absolute anger now is this Tory government have done nothing to address those issues of why people voted the hopelessness, they bring the status quo, they bring all the scaffolding down in the first place. And as long as they're not addressing those issues, then we're never going to put things right. So back to my point about either we continue to manage decline on our watch, people like Dave and myself and others, or we do something about it. But doing something about it takes resources, takes energy, bold decisions, doing something very different. And that means you have to rely on your sisters and brothers who stand next to you. And I'll make one reference to this. GMB had a massive campaign in a warehouse in Barnsley that is on the site of an ex-pit uh, village that's all since shut down. They put this bloody great big warehouse there. It's called ASOS. Many of you will have seen the website, as seen on stars is what it stands for. And people will go on this ASOS website and you'll see this glossy website and you'll want your clothes, your fashionable clothes, and you'll want them tomorrow. Behind that glossy website are members of mine that are being abused by their thousands.
Half of them are casual employees. Half of them have worked there for months, nay, years, and haven't got a permanent contract of employment. They work next to the lucky few who have got a permanent contract, but that contract isn't really worth the paper it's written on. So we mounted an organising campaign in this workplace. And I quote, I quote from the TUC, you could see the GMB's campaign from space. It was that high profile. We were criticised. We asked this employer, first of all, why don't you come in and we'll do our business behind closed doors and we'll get a collective bargaining, recognition of all the stuff that you would expect a professional organisation to do. They said, well, do your worst. So we did our worst. And a sister-affiliated trade union of the TUC came in and did a sweetheart deal with that union at the 11th hour. They had four members. We had 400. Now, either we turn a blind eye to that and let that happen, and if that happens, then you're never going to organise these people who so desperately need it all. We have to stamp it out and we have to stand sister to sister, brother to brother, in support of each other. Because it does take bold organising. Amazon is the next one that GMB is taking on. We're taking on Amazon every single way. Jeff Bezos, you might have heard of him, he's the CEO of Amazon. He's the richest geezer on the planet, bar none. It's obscene. And he has these phrases that he uses about... The best way to motivate your workforce is by fear. Make sure that when they wake up, he's quoted as saying this, Cad, make sure when they wake up in the morning, they're frightened. Well, Jeff, you've really achieved your KPIs there, mate, because they are. They're bloody shit scared. They're shit scared of losing their job. They're shit scared of not being able to put a meal on the table. They're shit scared of not being able to meet their pick rates. And in one site, in Rugeley, in the West Midlands, one Amazon site, there have been 115 ambulance call-outs in the last three years. There is a GMB union organised warehouse three miles down the road that has had nine in the same three-year period. So this Bezos not only likes his people being frightened, but he makes his billions on the back of abusing working people. And it has to stop. But these people make their money on the back of abusing workers, and yet they put every single barrier they can up to preventing trade unions getting in and organising. And that's where it takes hard work. That's where it takes resources. All they do as an employer is build the fences bigger, put the barbed wire higher. But we're coming, and we're going to break it down. And we've already got 300 GMB members in that one site alone, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep on and on and on. And the latest thing I got is that I literally got it just before I got to Labour Party comments. I got a letter from Amazon solicitors saying they're going to do us for our people trespassing on their car park, putting leaflets on the windscreens of their drivers. Well, I look forward to seeing them in court as well. Because GMB has had to take court proceedings against some of these rogue employers as well. Cad mentioned it. We've taken Uber to court. And the reason we took Uber to court is because, A, they're abusing the drivers who work for Uber because they don't pay them properly and they don't treat them as employees, so they get no sick pay when they're sick. They get no holiday pay. But secondly, because Uber, the company, drive down taxi rates and costs it's an unfair competition for private hire drivers and black cab drivers in and around London and other cities that have black cabs. It's unfair all round. And the reason Uber treat every single driver as self-employed is because it's a tax dodge. If they were employees, they would have to pay 20% VAT for every employee, and they never have. So GMB took them to court, and we won. And the judge said, and not many judges give out good solid decisions for trade unions against multinational employers. The judge said the notion of Uber employing this mosaic of self-employed drivers is frankly ridiculous. And that judge, she was right. It is ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And the court didn't believe it. So now we're in the stage where we are saying 
that Uber, you've got to now pay your people their backdated holiday pay for the years that they've worked for you, their backdated sick pay when they've been off sick, and Uber don't like it. So we have to do things differently. We have to innovate. But we also have to look a bit closer to home, and that is how do we communicate with our members in GMB? In GMB, we've been growing for the last 10 years. Not by much, but last year alone, we recruited 80,000 new members in a year, and we grew by 1,400. So we're literally recruiting to stand still in vast numbers. And one of the things that GMB has done very poorly, and we're changing it now, is how we communicate with people when they join. What is their member's journey? Bit of a bit of a new phrase, but what is their member's journey? And we now communicate with them, and we hook them in, and we involve them, and we say, you know, what are the issues in your workplace? And we keep on communicating with them on a regular basis. But another thing we do well, or better now, is on social media and on the whole social media network. And I'm unashamedly proud to say we learnt a lot from Dave and his team because CW are leading the field in the social media stuff. And so much so that recently GMB has put some stuff out on various issues and the coverage we've had has been enormous. The sort of coverage that we would never have got. And when we started even talking about social media in the GMB, it was like, well, it's a viper's nest. You can't go near that. Well, either we don't go near there and we won't be able to communicate with anyone or we have to do things differently. So... Lots of ideas, lots of opportunities to do things differently, lots of challenges. I think we've got to take on the chin that we were very lazy back in the day. We should have done more when the game was much easier. We didn't. And now it's up to us to either make a difference and stand up and change things or we just manage decline and I'm not up for that. So, uh, absolute pleasure to uh, address you and speak to you. Thank you. Thanks very much for that, Tim. And, uh, of course, us at the Institute will always work alongside of you and with you and support you all the way. So, uh, well done and thanks. Uh, I'm moving on um, to our next speaker. Our next speaker is Lauren Townsend. Now, you always need... Well, I spoke at the beginning about the kind of laws that we want to see and the kind of laws that will help unions to grow and workers to feel protected. Um, our next speaker will tell us why those laws are absolutely needed and the difficulties Tim's just spoken about as GMB members. Our next one works in another sector that is very difficult to organise and very difficult to recruit in and she's done a tremendous job because we do, we did get lazy and we do need people out there who will recruit, who will organise and who will take action against uh, exploitative um, employers. So, our next one is leading the campaign with TGI, Fr TGI Friday. So the hospitality sector, renowned for its difficulty. So I've um, got very good pleasure in introducing Lauren. Hello, I'm um, one of the TGI Friday's strikers um, and I'm a lead activist in the campaign for fair pay, fair tips and a fair working day. Um, the campaign in TGI started in January. Um, the catalyst for it was with two days' notice, they took 40% of our card tips and reallocated it to the kitchen teams. On the surface, that seems fair. They do half the work, they should get half the money. But it was to avoid giving them an actual pay rise. Um, as the minimum wage has gone up over the last few years, I've been there for eight years, the kitchen wage, they used to be paid quite a bit more than us. They've just stayed the same. So we've crept up nearer and nearer. And it got to the stage where they started asking for a bit more money. 
And so the solution was to give them 40% of our card tips. Now, in real financial terms, this is about 50 to 60 pounds a week, or 200 to 250 pounds a month for full-time employees, um, which is no small amount of money to people who are often, you know, students working to support themselves through university. Um, in hospitality, there's a lot of young parents because, you know, this, this flexible working environment works around families and caregiving. Um, and our issue is, they come to, they don't come to the table at all, but if you ever manage to like grab a member from HR or something, they act as if the flexible contracts, they're doing you a favor. Like, but you should be so grateful because you know, you get, to, you get to work when you want. Well, actually, if you think about it, they need us to work evenings and weekends. Like, they're not doing it as a favour to us. We work those unsociable hours. Yes, for some of us, it, it works around families or studies. Um, but that's when they need us. That's when people are going out to eat and want to have a good time on a Saturday night. Um, we've started kind of a bigger fair hospitality kind of movement off the back of this. Um, on the 4th of October, we will be going on strike with... So I'm Unite, TGI Fridays, and we will be going on strike with the McStrikers and the Weatherspoon Strikers from the Bakers Union. So it's a real kind of act of inter-union collaboration, um, which is something I fully want to just push forward and I think should happen more um, across sectors where maybe there's people have people unionised in you know, retail across several unions or in hospitality across several unions. We really do need to be working together as a movement um, and taking these steps as a collective because individually we're just ignored. It's so easy to ignore us because you go up to your boss. I don't know how many of you have worked in hospitality but it's quite a casual work environment um, and if you went to your boss and asked for more money or you know to not be on zero hour contracts they just kind of shrug you off as being a bit Ridiculous, like why are you, well, why are you worried about that? You don't need that. Um, so we really do need to stand together because together we are stronger. Um, so, sorry, our day of action is the 4th of October. So if anyone happens to be in London, we would love for you to come and support us. We'll be in Leicester Square, just because in Leicester Square there is a TGI's, a McDonald's and a Weatherspoons. So we can cause a bit of mayhem outside each one. Um, and we'll be there from 11 a.m. till 12. So definitely come along if you can. Um, in terms of why we need this kind of manifesto for labour law and we need a labour government and these policies putting in place, unionising, I can only speak from experience in hospitality, but it is so difficult. The fact that we're on zero-hour contracts means that a lot of people who you know, became vocal in their workplaces, tried to get petitions signed or tried to recruit members, they noticed their hours would just be taken away. Um, or their shifts, they wouldn't have shifts taken away, but their shift pattern would be changed. And this is a shift pattern they've had for, you know, five years or something, um, to shifts that are unworkable around other commitments. And the fact that they can just take shifts away, I think is terrifying, and I think not enough people talk about it. Like, we all have bills to pay, um, and to not know from one week to the next if you're going to have enough money coming in to pay those bills is really scary. Um, one of the reasons that I'm so vocal in this campaign is because, you know, I'm fortunate. I live in a house share, so we've like, with quite a few people, so we we share and um, you know split the cost between us. Um, and I've got a supportive partner and a really supportive family. But there are some girls at work who don't have that luxury, and that's what kind of 
They say when you come into the union movement, you get like a fire in your belly, and you really do. Because in January, when we sat in that meeting, there were a couple of girls, and they were all the young mums, who were literally crying. It was the 6th of January, and when we were called to a meeting, we thought it was going to be a pat on the back. We'd just beat record sales over Christmas and New Year. Back-to-back shifts. A time of year when we would quite like to be at home with our families, and we're out serving you know, Christmas work dues and stuff. And they were doing the maths in their head and working out how much money they would be losing. And one girl in my store got really upset and she was saying, I think I'm going to have to go down the, the, the council office and claim for some benefits. The amount that she was losing was meaning she would have to claim when she'd always kind of prided herself on, you know, I support my family and I work, blah, blah, blah. But she wasn't in a position. Some people could just pick up an extra shift to make up the loss. But she wasn't in that position. And we said to her, like, you do, should not be ashamed about that. That is not you at all. That is the company who are paying you poverty wages, putting you on zero-hour contracts. They've taken away your time and a half, because we lost time and a half over Christmas and New Year, bank holidays. They took away shift meals, so then you're having to pay for food. And now they're taking away 40% of your tips, which you work your butt off to earn, money that is just given generously by the public, which we really shouldn't have to rely on in the first place. And now, because of all of this, you're now having to claim benefits. That's just disgusting. We, aren't we like one of the top 10 richest countries in the world or something? Um, and there are literally people, I think John McDonald said something about it the other day, two thirds of households living in poverty have at least one person who works full time. That is disgusting. Um, so my kind of rallying call here is, you know, if you're not a member of a union, join one, whatever industry you're in, um, and support the campaigns as you see them, grassroots campaigns, and more importantly, speak to people at home, especially younger people, because I was lucky enough to have parents who were teachers, so I knew about trade unions, but trying to unionise in my workplace... Nobody knew what trade unions were. They don't have a clue. There's no trade union education in schools. Because of, you know, Thatcher in the 80s, a lot of people have parents who weren't in unions. The next few generations are going to have grandparents who weren't in unions. So we really do need to start spreading the word now amongst ourselves, telling, you know, I mean, since January, I've got my little brother signed up to union, my little sister joined up to union. My mum wasn't in a union. I made her join a union. Um, so it really does start at home. Yeah, that's kind of all I've got to say. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. And doesn't she say it so well? And she's being very sort of um, timid there. She's recruited hundreds to the union. Um, and she says we need to be vocal. She was very vocal. And the thanks she got for it was suspension. Um, thankfully she had a union behind her and uh, she's got her job back but that's what we need, young people she's been on social media coordinating across the whole of the TGI Friday stores so it's not just one that they can pick off she's gone through them all, so I've heard her so many times isn't she brilliant? So thank you thank you very much Um, so I'll move on to our last speaker of the evening. Our last speaker is Dave Ward. Dave is the General Secretary of the Communication Workers Union. He has been pushing a campaign that they've been running for a New Deal for Workers. Um, it was the New Deal for Workers that was the centre of a march, I think it was in May. 
on 12th of May, that got thousands of people down in London saying we need to do something with the anger that people are facing in their workplace um, and take it out on the streets and say we want something better. So Dave, I'm sure, will tell us all about that campaign and the social media um, techniques that they use to make sure that their union grows and is pushing, one of the unions pushing the agenda for change um, today. So welcome, Dave. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot. Um, thanks for listening. Well, I, I was really taken with what Lauren said there um, because at the end of the day, um, it's about activism. It's about doing things. And it's about reaching out to workers and connecting the struggles that are taking place across the UK. And I have a very simple view uh, at the moment. I actually think that we're on the brink of a breakthrough. I think that we're, there's room for real optimism here. And I really do passionately believe that the route to transform the UK, to transform in a way that Jeremy Corbyn becomes the Prime Minister, is to fight for a new deal for workers. I think a lot of things will flow from that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about, about that. It's also great to be here um, outside of conference arrangements, committee reports, and reference backs. Um, and all of that stuff, and be in a place where the only reference is how you move forward. And it is actually relevant to, to have that discussion because one of the things that struck me about Jeremy when he stood for leadership and what made us get behind him was when he said, like, we need a new kind of politics. And I remember talking to some of our team and saying, we need a new kind of trade unionism in this country. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't really, really strong trade union activists. Um, it doesn't mean that there ain't great trade union leaders. I think there's as many committed people now in the movement, who are leading the movement on this table here, um, who are every bit as committed to standing up for workers as previously. But it means we need to think differently about what we do. So a couple of things in the CWU that we did. One was I've never been a fan of rule books. Um, I never really saw a lot of the point in them. Um, now, that upsets some people in trade unions because some people spend a lot of time, and of course I understand that without the rule books, you know, you wouldn't have any organisation at all. So you've got to have it. But I, I kind of felt that we, like, we almost had rules that stopped us doing things. And rather than, like, I, I'd get other people to read the rule books and that, and, you know, whether the, the meeting in, used to start off with, like, rule 6.4.1 says we're going to do it. People ain't interested in all that stuff. They want to know what it is we're going to do about their terms and conditions. And they want to know how, what they've got to do to be part of bringing about that change. So one of the things we started talking about was less meetings and more events. And we did a, an event in Manchester a few years back now where we said to Jeremy, would you come up to Manchester during the Tory conference? And do you, do you know where we held it? We held it in Manchester Cathedral. We contacted the cathedral and we said, like, we're going to get 10,000 people in and around the cathedral. We're going to have a stage outside. We're going to have a stage inside. Are you up for it if we... Will you hire it to us? Yes, they said. And we got a load of different speakers. And one of the speakers was a young worker 
uh, was involved in the dispute at the time. I'm sorry, I can't remember her name now. Um, and she was brilliant. And we put her on a platform with other trade union leaders and we got a wide range of people there. And we packed that place out. How did we pack it out? We worked with the People's Assembly. We worked with Momentum. And we used social media. And we, we used it to, to build up the event. And it was an event. And everyone went away thinking, well, that is, that is really great. Jeremy being there helped. Um, he undoubtedly you know, brought people out on, on a cold, rainy night in Manchester. Um, people turned up and we had a great event. And we went away thinking, we've got to do more of that. We've got to do more of using social media. We had a dispute last about 18 months ago. And we always wanted to use social media during the dispute. We wanted to see the power of it. We didn't want it to replace face-to-face -face meetings. We're fortunate in our union that we have a very strong workplace structure. We're a union where we pride ourselves on having representatives in every workplace. I'm not saying that we got them every single place, but I would say 95% we've got reps and they've got power. The manager has to negotiate with the representative. And we've got a culture, it happened this week as I was coming up here, Tyneside Mail Centre, as we was on the train up here, um, there was an email come through saying, can you repudiate uh, unofficial industrial action in Tyneside Mail Centre? Do you know what we do? I think years ago, union leaders had done it in their own union many, many years back. They used to sort of get on the phone and like discipline you almost. If you, you know, your job is to go and get workers back. And when we hear that now, we rub our hands and we go, thank God, there's people out there who are standing up. And the last thing we're going to do is repudiate the action that they take. And I don't want to get into a technicality on the law there. Um, we actually used the fact that we was on the, on the train up and said, like, oh, we haven't seen this email. And, you know, lo and behold, they had a dispute. They got a settlement. People went out and people went back in knowing that they stood together and that the issue that they was trying to deal with was resolved at a local level. Not by us, by remote control, by activism in the workplace. So, you know, we, we used um, social media to great effect in a recent dispute. We got something like, I think it was about 78% turnout in a strike ballot, the first big union to take on the anti-trade union laws. I think we've got to be a bit confident about that. You know, I understand it is difficult. They've spent 30-odd years thinking up the ways of crushing the voice of working people. But we're back. And social media, undoubtedly, is one of the ways that you connect with people. So what we did, uh, I think it was a year before last at the TUC, during the middle of our ballot, we got a fantastic communications team. And I'll be honest with you, the deal is pretty much they tell us what to do and we give them a free hand. And we say, as long as you connect with people, as long as you engage. So they'll say to people like me sometimes, we're having a live Facebook session. When is it? Six o'clock tonight, be there. And we're opening it up and we're saying, and it, we've got our head of comms saying, you got the ump with Dave Ward. You, you, you want to have a go at him over this? Well, get, on, get online tonight. You can have a go at him. That's the deal. You know, we don't duck anything. When you get used to it after a while, when we had the 12th of May rally, we used it to great effect. And it builds, it, people want to do things. That's what we find. 
If you say to people on social media, are you up for doing something? And that's what we used in the dispute. We, we connected with people, not just our reps, other people who perhaps hadn't ever taken a step forward to be an activist in the union, um, like a representative for the union, but really wanted to do something. So we said to them, we're having National Gate Meeting Day on, during the middle of our ballot for industrial action. And we'd waited for this for some time because we knew it was going to be powerful. So what they did, our comms team, they got the likes of me, other union leaders. Um, we was at the TUC. And they got us up early and we went out to sorting offices near there. We went to a range of sorting offices uh, in the vicinity of the TUC that was being held in Brighton at that, that moment. And the first thing I noticed that was different was that for the first time for a long time, the managers were saying, if you're going to hold a meeting with the staff, do you want to come into the workplace? And we said, no. The workers are coming out to talk to us on the street because they didn't want the embarrassment of knowing that the entire place was going to leave their workplace to listen to their union leaders face to face. We could have gone in there. They would have loved it. But they all came out. And National Gate Meeting Day was advertised on social media. We pumped it up for a couple of weeks. We kept on relentlessly saying, get your office to do something on that day. Have a meeting. Um, and put, put the photo on social media. Well, I'll tell you what, within a couple of hours, they did our meeting live, three or four of them, uh, around that area where we had our main union leaders there talking to our, our members, reps talking... And then all of a sudden, social media got bombarded. The TUC social media got taken over that day. That was part of the plan, by the way. Um, and it showed pictures of postal workers all standing outside their workplace, holding up, we're supporting the union. We're on the side of the union. We're together. We smashed the anti-trade union law vote. We got something like a 90% yes vote in a postal ballot. We didn't fiddle the ballots either as the postal workers. Um, we'd like to do something, you can't do that. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this is, it, it makes me feel that there's something so powerful about how you engage with people. So all we ever talk about in the union now is how do you engage. Not, not everybody's comfortable with it because it means you've got to be accessible. As leaders, you've got to show other representatives that is the way forward to engage. And it also means that you've got to put energy and resources into it. So, you know, let me just say one thing about the CWU. Though. We ain't as good as these unions when it comes to recruiting and organising at the moment. I'll tell you why. Because we're a union. I think we're a very, very strong union. We can always deliver to members. But unfortunately, we're a union that essentially... Its history is based on two companies, the Royal Mail Group and BT. And they're great big companies, but they're going through a transformation and have been for 30 or 40 years. The very things that they do are being affected by sociological change in the world of communications. And that means that there's no way that we're going to keep the same type of jobs because the job's changing. Um, and I sit around looking at this, and I think we've got such a vibrant energy going for our union at the moment, but we're not quite taking advantage of it in organising workers. And what that means is for some of our members, it means saying to them honestly, 
And we're going through that process. So we will be stepping up to the plate on recruitment and organising because we're going to transform our approach. But it means the CW looking beyond our existing workplaces. And it means saying to some of our own members, you know that guy in Deliveroo who's out there who you think is taking your job? They're decent workers. They're decent people. And we're going to go and organise those workers with the people who are out there, and they're going to become part of our union. Now, that brings me on to what we mean by a new model of trade unionism. And I'll include, as Tim has been very strong in support with us as well, it means the TUC changing. It means the whole union movement coming together. We've put forward a four-point plan. And we're going to keep repeating this. It's very simple. I don't think things are as complicated as what people make out sometimes. So the four-point plan that will reassert trade union values in this country is based on one. Unions sitting down together, all these great unions, and saying, do you know what? The world of work is so bad, it's so awful, that we're going to agree a common bargaining agenda. And on two or three things, we'll all have our own individual things, but on two or three things, we are going to change the world of work because we're going to agree that in every single employer where we're currently organised, where we've got recognition, we're going to have a row with the employer about bogus self-employment, about insecure contracts, about contracts that are not just zero-hour contracts, specific event contracts, contracts without holiday pay, without sick pay. Now, if somebody collectively, the TUC, got up and said, well, one, we've just agreed a common bargaining agenda. Do you imagine what the news agenda would be if they said, and by the way, what does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to take that right through our processes. And if we don't get the answer that, that brings about change, then we are going to have a row with every single employer, all the union leaders all together. That will bring about a massive different feel for the trade union movement. So that's the first point. The second point is... And Tim touched on it, and he's 100% right on this. Because what employers do in the world of trade unionism, when they see unions that are uh, coming for them, and Unite see this, we see it, they go and pick the union that they want. And they pick a union who does like, well, you know, come and sign up to us. We only give our members a few little gifts here and there. You know, we're, as long as you do like a, a one-off deal for us or whatever, we'll leave you alone. That's not trade unionism. And what we've got to do, believe it or not, is the trade union movement has got to agree a new charter. They had it many, many years back called the Bridlington Charter. And that was about unions cooperating to organise workers. Not having a way how we end disputes between us. We, we talk about that and we'll find a way forward. So we've got to have a positive charter for greater cooperation, for unions to organise workers. Um, and, you know, right across in the private sector, let's be honest, we have got to get involved in the private sector. We've got to spend as much energy and resources in the private sector as we do in the public sector, where we're strong. The third thing is, along with the work that the IER have done, rolling out the manifesto for labour law, alongside the work that Labour itself has done, we think that the trade union movement needs to publish a manifesto of what a new deal for workers really does constitute. It needs to be simple, 
It needs to have about 10 points, and it could be so powerful. Imagine if every union got together, agreed that manifesto, and we put it out there, and we said, this is what a new deal for workers is. We know what it, what's involved in it. We want to sit down with all the unions and agree what it is. And it will be... Imagine if we pumped that out on social media. Imagine if we pumped that out in every dispute that was going on, that workers are coming together. Part of it is rolling out the manifesto for labour law. Part of it is saying to people, honestly, as John McDonnell did today... You know, the balance has gone too far the other way towards the bosses. Now, after 30 years, 30, 40 years of anti-union laws, anti-union attacks, it's time to free trade unions. But here's the fourth point of the plan after the manifesto. You've got to take action. And I'm saying to you tonight, we are going to call, we're going to name a day for action next year. And I'll tell you why we're going to do that. Because we don't want the debate, and I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way, but the trade union movement has a debate about, you know, some people call action a general strike. And I look upon these things just in a practical way. And I've sat in rooms where the call for a general strike was made by one of the greatest trade union leaders, the greatest trade union leader in my time, Bob Crow who meant it. The problem was, most of the people in the room used it as an excuse to do nothing because they couldn't deliver it. And I'd love to be working with Bob now and saying to him, Bob, you know, let's not go straight to that point. Let's build, because he would have done that. And let's have a day of action. So what does that mean? Well, it means doing things we can do, not things we can't do, and building from there. And that day of action should be setting out about 10 things, a range of actions um, that different unions can choose from a menu of options of what it is they're going to do on that day. Now, imagine if the leader of the TUC, the press would pit all over us, if the leader of the TUC said, we are calling that day of action and explain that plan in a way that people went, this is different. But, oh, they actually mean it. They're going to do something. Imagine if every single union that's affiliated, if every single organisation used social media to name that day of action, to say on that day, we are going to do something. And I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll build up our members and we'll say to our members on that day, come out of your work for maybe half an hour an hour. And we'll do something visual, we'll line that up with social media, and we will get a lot of our members, the vast majority of them will walk out on that day. Now, I'm not saying that every union will be able to do that, because they won't. And I'm not saying we'll get 100% of the members out, but we'll get a lot of them out. But I tell you what, there is something that all workers can do. And that day of action, you know, and I hope it, it isn't lasting the disputes that you're involved in, Lauren. But it's the same principle of what Lauren said. It's activism. It's showing Leicester Square, TGI Fridays, McDonald's, Witherspoons. Well, you know, what a great way of showing support for young people 
that we all get out there and we all do something on that day. Whatever it is, we'll do something. I tell you now, the world of work will be transformed within a few years. So, you know, I see this as absolutely vital as the route to power for Corbyn. But I think the trade union movement, as much as we support Jeremy and he sticks his chin out and he stands up for working people and ordinary people, we've got to do it ourselves as well. It's our job to do it. We've got to transform the world of work. You know the debate about the far right that is growing in this country? Do you know one of the ways that you'll win that debate? Dennis Skinner has got this argument absolutely nailed. Is you tell them about trade unions and you say, we don't care where you come from, we don't care the colour of your skin, we don't care what gender you are, what ethnicity you are. If you're in a trade union, we stand up for you. It's trade union values that win that argument. And I want to have that debate with our members in the workplace. But I'm going to be honest with you. If I turned up in a workplace and just started talking to our members about the rise of the far right and don't get embroiled in that debate and see through this, a lot of them are going to say, Waldy, you know, what are you here for? I want, I want you to talk to me about my pay, my terms, my conditions. But if I go there and I talk to them about we are going to transform the world of work, we have got a campaign going on a bold new deal for workers right across the country, and then I start talking to them about the rise of the far right, I tell you, they will be with us and we'll smash the far right without any shadow of a doubt. Even they agree with it. Um, so, so, look, there, there's a really optimistic future for the trade union movement. Yes, we've gone through difficult times, but the real way of doing it is we've got to come together. We've got to deliver a new kind of trade unionism in the same way that Jeremy Corbyn is delivering a new kind of politics. Thanks very much. Okay, okay. Okay, um, thanks for that, Dave. That's great. Um, very inspiring. You said we need energy. Thanks, Tim. Tim has to leave, but um, you said we need energy, and you've certainly got lots of it, and you put it into your collective work for your members and the trade union, mem trade union movement um, generally. So thanks for that. Now, we do have some time. As I said, we have to be out of the room by 7 o'clock, so I'll end it just before 7 o'clock. Um, it does leave some time. Dave said that uh, we don't do discussion and that uh, we want to engage, so it's your turn. I'm sure you've got examples of um, your workplace or techniques that you've used or issues that you've faced. So, um, shall I go around the room like that? So we've got a mic, so if you say who you are and where you're from, um, we'll take some points. So, starting here, lady on the front. Hi, I'm Emily. Um, so, my question might be potentially quite a strange one, I'm not sure. Uh, but we've had the rise of hostility against trade unions through legislation, of course, but I, for me, uh, through the work I do, I see a sort of soft decapitation of the utility of unions through the rise of CSR, which has happened concomitantly with the 
hostility through legislation. So things like social audits and ethical accreditation schemes are a way of taking away the relevance of unions with regard to labour exploitation, and they are winning as well. Um, most conversations you can have with corporates or business associations on hard forms of labour exploitation don't include unions. The Gang Masters and Labour Abuse Authority isn't working with unions properly anymore compared to the past. So a question is, I don't hear unions really talking about this ever. The TUC tend to take a kind of partnership approach which actually falls into that strategy. How can unions take back the terrain from CSR over labour rights and labour exploitation and is it actually even thinking about it in those terms which I would argue is that they're currently losing in the air war even if you're doing amazing work on a ground war organising social care and warehouses and so on. Okay, thanks very much. Do you want to kind of keep your hands up and I'll just pick a few. So if I go one, two, three and then I'll come back. Uh, hello, uh, Jack Conway. Um, I'm communications officer of the Unison National Young Members Forum. Um, just with regards to this kind of uh, this media dubbed youthquake that's happened in the past few years with Corbyn and everything, I do think that um, trade unions have sort of not really been a part of it. They have a bit. Uh, but not much. And you actually speak to a lot of these uh, young political people and they're very uh, indifferent towards trade unions. Um, now, obviously, I do think social media is really important. And um, I think I completely agree that all you need, the unions need to get together on a national level uh, to change that. I also think a lot of the media channels um, that, that are very viral and are very popular, like Momentum, like Navarra Media, like uh, Another Angry Voice, need to talk about unions more and they need to tell people to join a union. Why aren't they doing that? I mean, they're doing it a bit, but that should be an absolute priority. And I really think that they should all get together with the trade unions and tell primarily young people uh, to join a union and it should be a campaign on a national level. Uh, hi, my name's Jono. Um, I've actually just moved to the UK, but I've been a union organiser in Australia for about 10 years. Um, and Dave, it's really good to hear you talk about that plan. Um, the ACTU, um, which is the peak body in Australia, is we're probably about a year ahead of people here in Britain. So we've got um, a big plan called Change the Rules, which you're probably aware of. Um, it's a really exciting campaign. It's been endorsed by sort of all unions in Australia. So um, it's good to hear people talk about that. We've had rallies in Melbourne and Sydney, 120,000 people on the streets calling to um, change the rules, which has um, been pretty amazing. I guess I guess my question is, um, is there a plan, uh, there's individual unions that are doing it here, is there a general sort of TUC plan to do that? Because um, it's been really successful in Australia, so um, we're keen to hear more about that. Smashing, thanks very much. Yeah, moving on. Uh, hi, um, yeah, so I, th I, I agree with um, the stuff, uh, I think, what, Dave, what you were talking about was really interesting. It's a shame the other guy's gone, because um, I was quite interested to hear what he was talking about, about around journey and uh, changing stuff around journey. I work in volunteer management, which is a bit of a silly field in a lot of ways, but we talk a lot about journey, but we also talk about mission and, and offer. And I think the offer part is the bit that I wanted to comment on. I feel like what Dave was talking about was the mission, the broader kind of reason why people are getting involved. The journey is how you're stewarding them through, that pro through the process of you know, their relationship with your organization. But the offer part is the bit that's slightly missing there because I feel like that is what this whole project came out of was a rule change in the leadership for um, in the in the uh, elections for leadership for Labour, 
meaning that essentially a bunch of the, the pos you could spend a couple of quid, get a membership for, uh, with Labour, and then vote on something meaningful. That was literally just two, three quid to do to have a meaningful vote, and I feel like that's the thing that's not talked about a lot. It's talked as if about as if everybody loved Jeremy. Well, it's true, he's great, but a lot of it was just people taking the opportunity to spend a bit of money to get a vote, mm -hmm. and that's that was really proximate something that was right there for those people. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we've just seen um, the kind of votes happening around open selection and and stuff like that in 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 conference and and at the NEC. Uh, which have obviously disappointed a few people. I think where it comes down to um, the offer part there is how are people going to get something back from their union and not just give in to what the unions already are, but help to shape what they are in the future. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, shall we move round? So, here. Great. Hi there. Uh, my name's John. Uh, it seems to me that the working class is in a, in a bit of a predicament, really, because... Uh, Historically, we've had uh, trade unions effectively capitulating. They haven't really backed workers. Um, I think that's, that's fair enough to say. Uh, union membership declined. And, um, and a lot of people would say basically it's because they didn't think the unions were an effective organisation. Now, it seems to me that um, in the context of a world economy that's heading for a further crash, right, the whole intensification uh, the whole idea of increased and higher, better wages is really a bit of a contradiction in terms in regards to the trajectory of world economy. Um, and it does seem to me that um, really the work, the trade unions, uh, I'm a bit aghast at the very fact that the trade unions didn't make a principled stand uh, in relation to uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the anti-Semitism situation and, a, and a, dis a very definite stance for Corbyn at the, the last Union uh, Congress. Uh, that's something, now uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't see it. Uh, it wasn't in any way, because of the, because of the size of this issue uh, and the anti-Jewish anti slurs made against Corbyn, right, which are absolutely scandalous, they are designed to basically to try and drive Corbyn out. Why there wasn't a, a, a very definite stance coming from the, the trade union leaders uh, in relation to that? Um, and I think it's in the context um, that really isn't it time now that the working class and the unions demanded that the right wing of the Labour Party is told to get out, right? You have to make a stand against them. And if anybody's got the logic that somehow, oh, well, we need them, then effectively all that means in, in, in reality is that translates into watered-down Jeremy policies. And the last statement, I just quickly like me, just be very quickly, in relation to the right, in relation to the right, the rise of fascism, right? The rise of fascism in Europe is actually largely predicated on the failure of social democracy. Uh, Obama opened the door for Trump. Hollande opened the door nearly for Le Pen. Sorry, love, I know it's a big issue, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thanks. I'm going to be very quick. I'm just. Um, Interested to know whether you think there are too many unions. I'm in unison, and uh, when we organise action, we get uh, more support from uh, the CWU than we do from Tim Roach's union, but I don't really want to get too much into that. Um, the, the manifesto that, that you've got on the table in front of you now, um, is there any good reason why Labour authorities shouldn't be being asked to uh, sign up to that now before we have a Labour government and, uh, and the demand for rights for workers 
from uh, the you know from the wider trade union movement ought to also be part and parcel of that and we should be trying to get labor authorities to become best practice employers and to sign up for the policies that labor are intending to implement when they get into power immediately thank you Hi, um, I'm Natasha. I'm an organiser for United Voices of the World, um, who are organising uh, strippers, amongst other precarious workers. Um, sex workers are the greatest workforce in the UK that are not unionised. Um, it was interesting, um, I can't remember his name from the GMB, talking about Tim, talking about uh, Uber drivers uh, fighting for, um, what I, he said employment status, but I think it might be worker status because that's what we're fighting for at the moment. Uh, we're classified as self-employed, um, but our contracts indicate that we're not. Um, so we'd get none of the rights of being workers or being self-employed. Um, United Voices of the World really values it. It prides itself on being members and workers-led. I was just wanting to ask what you think the benef uh, what is so important about unions being workers-led and for the workers rather than working within the management. Thanks. Um, just briefly on the point about the New Deal for workers, um, I wanted to ask uh, what significance the panel thinks a um, demand for a shorter working week could have, because to my mind that might potentially tie in with lots of important conversations that trade unions could also uh, be involved in. I'm taking a lot of points here, and you might have forgotten the questions that started, um, but we are writing them down, and I do think it's right that we hear from the audience and not just the panel all the time. So I'm going to work my way around, and then I'll, I will give our, our yeah, when I'm, we've got 10 minutes left, so up there, yeah. Kate Hodgson from Unite Community. Uh, please, panel, would you... Thanks very much for everything, fantastic. Um, any thoughts, and I don't mind who answers, Unite community and community supporting um, trade union, uh, industrial trade union members, um, LWGB and United Workers of the World. Um, the, um, hopefully someone from GMB will report back and send Tim, because I'm sorry that he's left things that are being said here. Um, but. What I've encountered in Islington South is um, competition for by trade unions for tr workers in workplaces. Um, any comments on that? And finally, but not last in order, because I had to clear the table up here, anything that you want to say about the Morning Star as supporting workers? Thank you. And you, trade unionists. Okay, thanks very much. And um, here. Well, if you walk the way from the back there, the lady in below, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, my name's Carrie. Just echoing what the woman from the, the stripper was talking about. Um, I'm from a sex worker organisation, the English Collective of Prostitutes, and we urgently need all trades unions to support the full decriminalisation of sex work. Criminalisation is also labour law in the, way, in the way that it makes sex workers more vulnerable uh, and less able to demand our rights and undermines other workers in that, in that sense. So we need, we need all trades unions, and I know the GMB already has policy on, on full decriminalization of sex work, and not to support 
the the criminalization of clients as some you know and we need we really do need unions to come out and there's a meeting tomorrow at one o'clock it would be great if you can come along or send a representative along to that meeting um it's called I haven't got the, I haven't got a leaflet here. I'm sure you can give them on the way okay. out and people can pick up that information then. It? So it's in, sorry, it's one thirty in this room. Thank you. Okay, fine. Um yeah. And moving down. Um hi, I'm um Malcolm. I, I uh, work in a Yodel warehouse in, in uh, North London. Um so all of those lovely parcels that people have picked and packed in the Rugeley warehouse that Tim was going on. Um so basically what I do is, you know, this one's going to Westminster, that one's going to uh, Islington, that one's going to, you know, do the sortation. I mean, obviously you've got CWU guys, so uh, we're just parcel equivalent of like old posties and, and so forth and so on, doing stuff in the postcodes and things like that. Um, and we all love, like, certain films like Made in Dagenham or something like that. Um, but I doubt very much if there's anybody in the world that's making upholstery now, because it's probably all made by robots, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, I know that in 10 or 15 years' time, that there is not going to be anybody that's going to be sorting parcels, taking stuff off conveyor belts, putting them in cages and, and, and things like that. Um, there's was, was also uh, uh, another example of something that I came across, which um sort of Central American fruit pickers in uh, Southern California, yeah? They come from Guatemala or El Salvador or Mexico, wherever they come from. And, like, they're, being, they're paid, like, a, some kind of minimum wage of, like, £8 an hour, uh, $8 an hour or something like that. But as soon as they ask for 9 or $10 an hour, then along comes some, somebody with a machine that's going to pick them and that, that they're going to be able to pick them the things for, for $9 an hour f and, until uh, 2050 and yeah. not be increased. Okay. Uh, yeah, but, Good yeah, point. Artificial intelligence that, so what, my, my, my question over, yes. is, what, what in this situation where, where people are competing, not with necessarily people in China or, or yeah. uh, things there, yeah. but what are we going to do about competing with machines and yeah. things like that in, in the future? Absolutely. The benefits of new technology should be spread. I'm going to take one more here and then I'm going to come back to the panel because we're going to have to leave in five minutes. So I am... Um, yeah. Hi, so I was just... I want to say I'm really glad that when we're talking about sort of trade union, modern day, the focus was being put on actually doing trade union action and then using modern technology like social media to back it up. Because I do worry sometimes that when I'm trying to, like I'm a trade union rep at work and the biggest reason people don't join is they don't see the union doing anything. Um, so I want, just wanted to ask what you think, how likely it is the TUC is going to get behind sort of big days of action? Because I have been worried with the things they've been doing recently, which are just sort of designing apps to give people workplace advice, which doesn't seem to be going in the right direction. Okay, thanks very much. Well, we've had a whole range of issues there. We've only got five minutes left before we need to be out, so there's no way that we're going to be able to answer them, but at least you've um, expressed uh, the issues that are, and I'm sure our panel will take those issues away. So, who wants to start? I'd just like to pick up on the corporate social responsibility comment. Uh, I think uh, if 
you know, people need to be fair looking at the movement, and I think unions in the past, you know, including my own union, Unite, has been slow adapting to technological change, adapting to public relations, countering the narrative that unions are bad, they drive, you know, uh, dr drive up uh, unemployment, that kind of thing. So I think that's a really fair point. And uh, the, the, a lot of uh, corporate social responsibility, it's all written by lawyers, publicists, and a lot of it is, you know, I hope the panel doesn't mind saying this, a lot of it is, is, is condensed crap, you know, it, 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 it is. With regards to the point about uh, young people, I, I, I you know, um, I'm, I'm 29 and, and I, I joined Labour when I was, I was, you know, in 2010. And I joined Labour, and I didn't know very much about unions. Uh, so the, the, the political education programme has been, even today, quite weak. And I think often people, when they turn up to Labour Party events, the only political education they get is how to fold leaflets and put them through doors. So I think that the programme there needs to be more radical. I was recruited into Unite in 2012 by my Labour Party comrade. So, uh, you know, I've had a journey from political to industrial. So I think that needs to change because people need to have industrial representation. One point I would like to make is in the Northwest, in, in, uh, I'm a member of Unite in Northwest, and the Young Member Committee in 2013 was about three people, uh, three, three, you know, three men who were active. Um, and from 2013 to today, they've built that up to over 60 people coming to meetings, running socials, running our own political, uh, you know, school a two-day event. Unite Northwest is the only region where young members, uh, you know, arrange their own political school over two days and have speakers from across the world. So, so yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, it is, you know, the, there is there is work that can be done. Uh, another comment about you know the right wing of the Labour Party. You know, I, I campaigned for Jeremy Corbyn on, on on both campaigns, and there are people on the panel who are very supportive. Uh, and I think we need to win the argument on policy rather than personal attacks because we can always win on policy. You know, because our policies are better and, and they bring equality. So I, I do think that you know if if we talk about policy rather than personality politics i think we can we can win so Dave? um the colleague from australia uh, we'll talk afterwards change the rules is the way forward that campaign similar to the fight for 15 in america is where trade unions come together uh, and i'm going to say you know whether it's ai whether it's uh, whatever's coming down the line we need to deliver a new deal for workers in this country. We need a share of the benefits of that. And the question was, was will the TUC lead it? The TUC has agreed that four-point plan at this year's Congress. That plan was agreed. And I'm here to say to you tonight, if the TUC don't lead it, we will. It's going to happen. And I'm sure that he will. I'm sure that he will. Um, so, we're getting, I'm getting signs to say we have to leave. There is, to the lady who said, what about the morning start? Yeah, if you want an alternative voice going back to the media. We've got, we've got a digital offer and the morning stars going digital. So read it. It's, a, it's an alternative voice. It changes the narrative. It supports Jeremy Corbyn and he supports it. So um, see the lady on the way out. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of the week.